What a wonderful privilege is to be here this morning. There is, this, uh, there is a story of a small boy finally sat down after reasoning, after resisting his parents' command to do so. His parents were asking him, please sit down. And finally, he sat down after resisting his parents' command, and he told his parent, I might look like I'm sitting still, but in my mind, I'm still running around. <laughs> Everyone at some point fears resistance to authority. It's part of our sinful human nature to rebel, to rebel against authority. We rebel against parents, teachers. We question whoever is in command continually, even at the church. It is an internal problem of the heart that began in Genesis. When the first human begin, when the first human being created without sin, without motivation to sin, without intention to sin, they rebelled against God's authority. In today's text, we see the religious leaders questioning Jesus' authority, rejecting Jesus' authority as another manifestation of them rejecting the Messiah. And as we read before last week, Jesus knocked over the tables at the temple. You remember, he also cursed the fig tree, and now he's teaching in the temple. He's teaching in the temple, and two groups came over, the Pharisees and Sadducees, approached Jesus to question him. So the text we read already shows us how the authority of Jesus and his message are being questioned and rejected by religious leaders. And as a result of this, none of them, Jesus is teaching them, that as a result of this rejection, their rejection, none of them will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they repent, they believe and repent. So in the light of that idea that this text wants to convey, we are going to see the impact that it has, accepting, embracing Jesus' authority, confessing our sins, and submitting to his authority, the impact that he has for us and our entry into the kingdom of heaven. I like the way that Jesus turned this conversation. I love the way that he does it. What began as a questioning of Jesus' authority ended up being a lesson for the Pharisees and Sadducees and their entry into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had to, to resolve that question. They had to answer that question to the Jewish society. They had to respond that, that question, how, how do we get into the kingdom of God? What are the conditions? What, what are the, those characteristics that those who enter into the kingdom of God may fulfill? And that's why the sermon text, I mean the title of the sermon today is Jesus' authority and the entrance to the kingdom of God. 
And when we read these verses, these verses 23 to 32, we see these conditions or characteristic that every person that enter to the kingdom of God may have. And the first one is very clear in verse 23. We must accept the authority of Jesus. We must accept the authority of Jesus. We must embrace who Jesus really is. Read verse 23 again. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You may understand why they brought this question. And let me give you some background so we may understand why they came up with this question. There were two main groups of religious leaders in Israel at that time who opposed to Jesus openly. The Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and Herodians. But now we have two of those four that came to Jesus. The first, the Sadducees, who represented the liberals and of the religious spectrum in Israel. They were in Sanhedrin, and they were the majority in the Sanhedrin. They, really, they, 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 they were the highest ruling religious council in Israel. And because they controlled the Sanhedrin, they also controlled the temple and the business held at the temple. For this reason... Because they were the majority at the temple, and because they, what they do at the temple, they were called high priest. So we have the priest, the high priest. The Sadducees received their income. You know where their income comes from? From the temple's operations. From both the temple traits and from tithes. And maybe now you understand why they are here in this discussion with Jesus. Because a couple of verses ago, we saw Jesus knocking over the temple, the tables at the temple. They opposed Jesus for two reasons. First, Jesus represented the conservative view of Scripture in contradiction to their liberal view of Scripture. And secondly... Because Jesus' opposition to the greed and corruption of the temple operation threatened the Sadducees' source of income and wealth. The second group were the Pharisees. And we probably know a little bit more. But they represented the conservative side. They represented the conservative on the religious spectrum. But one only issue with them. They embraced the Mishnah and traditions over the scripture. The Pharisees were in charge of the daily religious life on Jewish people. And although they were only the minority in, in the Sanhedrin, they were the religious leader of the culture. Actually, they were the judge of the law. The Pharisees, they had authority over the formation and appointment of rabbis in the local synagogues. Therefore, the Pharisees were, called, were also called elders of Israel. So you have Sadducees and Pharisees, and, and Pharisees that they came over and they opposed Jesus because Jesus jeopardized their main system 
of Pharisaical rabbinic government based on the Mishnah and their interest. And Jesus is teaching, and his teaching challenged their authority. Why? Because if Jesus ended what they were doing, their power base and source of income will be dissolved. So probably you may then ask why if they were different in their convictions, now they are opposing to Jesus. Where, well, probably you have heard the old saying that says, my enemy's enemy is my friend. Well, we have two different religious groups with different religious convictions agree to attack Jesus and question the authority of his teaching. They don't accept Jesus nor the message that he brought. He was teaching. So they were rejecting the messenger and the message that Jesus brought. In verse 23, they challenged Jesus to explain, hey, who endorsed your ministry? With what authority are you teaching? They believed that Jesus had no credential to teach. And remember, under the Pharisee traditions, no one could teach on religious matters unless duly trained by a respected authority, a well-known rabbi. And the Pharisees required the new rabbis received training and approval authority from an unending chain of approved rabbi. And also it required an, under, an ordination as well. In order to be ordained, you had to give a speech in front of them. They have, that speech had to be approved. And after that speech, then they had like a ceremony, a traditional ceremony. And then they granted the rabbi the power to bind and to loosen, which means they granted the power to teach and to judge. That's why the religious leaders were asking Jesus, with what authority are you? Who was your rabbi? Who trained you? Jesus has not credential. And you can see that example with Paul. In Acts 22, do you remember when Paul is defending his ministry? What he said, I am Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our father. So that was the tradition that needed to be, and the requirements that needed to be fulfilled in order to be an approved rabbi that teach religious matter on the temple. But of course, Jesus' authority to teach and his knowledge didn't have an early source. Luke tells us that he grew in knowledge. But Jesus is the source of authority. It's John who tells us that he is the Logos, the word that was incarnated. And Matthew has intentionally shown us that Jesus has his own, he is the source of his own authority. He doesn't need any credential. He doesn't need an ordination certificate. He's just the source of his authority. In Matthew 7, do you remember at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, it says that the, the, the crowd was amazed and recognized the authority of Jesus. In chapter 8, you remember, if you were through the series, 
you will remember that he heals the leper. He heals the centurion servant remotely. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. You see? Mother-in-law. Jesus had compassion even for mother-in-law. <laughs> what expression of love and compassion. He freed the demon-possessed Gadarians. He calmed the storm. In Matthew 9, he healed the paralytic. He forgave his sin. He healed the woman who had discharge. Healed the blind, the mute, according to the prophecies that only the Messiah may be able to do it. And the crowd saw it and marveled and glorified God. And they said, who has given you such authority? In chapter 14, he fed 5,000 people and later 4,000 more, multiplying the bread and the fish. He walked on water. And last week we saw that he cursed the free tree. What is Matthew showing us? What is Matthew trying to communicate? He's trying, he's teaching us that Jesus is God. And Jesus has Authority over sickness, over creation, over unclean spirit, over death, over life. Authority to forgive sin that only God can do it. He has authority to teach what a scripture says. He has authority to teach over their traditions. He's the word that became flesh. But the leaders, what they did, they rejected. They rejected. They questioned his authority. But what else? Rejecting Jesus, what else they were rejecting? They were rejecting his message, his teaching. Luke in the parallel text said that Jesus was teaching the gospel. So no messenger, no message for them. Therefore, no entrance to the kingdom of God. Rejecting Jesus and his authority, brothers and sisters, and his messages closes the way to the kingdom of God. It's easy. And they close it for themselves. There is no way to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, if we reject the message and the messenger. If we reject what Jesus represented, he's not a prophet. He's not a spiritual leader. He's not a religious leader. He is God incarnated. And unless we embrace that truth, what he is and what he has done, there is no way to enter to the kingdom of God. And it has a huge implication. If you are visiting today, and maybe you have your own version of Jesus, there is just one version of Jesus. And it comes from the scripture. He's God. And his message, his message is clear. Repent and believe that he is the Savior. What is the other characteristic that we see in the text? Well, confess the sin that rebels against the authority of Jesus. Confess the sins. First, you, you, you must embrace who Jesus is, his authority, but also you must confess the sin that rebels against Jesus' authority. Read verse 23 again to 27 now. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. Just one. And if you tell me the answer, 
then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the question. Ready? The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from men? They gather. They have this meeting now. Hey, come here. I know that we disagree on many things, but let's see how we can respond to this man. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then, do you, then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So, what happened? They come with this answer to Jesus. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I don't know if you can see what Jesus is doing, but it's very interesting. Notice that Jesus, traditional rabbinical method discourse to expose their motivations, to expose their sins, and to expose their real intentions. Part of the rabbinic method when arguing was by answering a question with another question. That's what Jesus did. Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. So they were like, you know, in this back and forth, back and forth meeting. So answer this question. And let me tell you, Jesus is not avoiding to answer. He's not. He's not avoiding to answer the, to, to, to answer the question. But instead, he wants to know their true intention. And actually, Jesus will be ready to do it. Because your relationship is getting worse and worse. You will see chapter 23, how things are going. But the question that Jesus made, that Jesus asked, put the religious leaders at a crossroads. And that's why they gather. Hey, what we should do? If we say that it comes from heaven, they knew what, John, what was the John the Baptist message. And they knew that John the Baptist pointed people to Christ. John the Baptist says in John 3, 28, you yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And then he says in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. What John the Baptist did with all his disciples, he pointed them to the Messiah, to Jesus. So they knew that if they claimed that John Baptist was from God, John had proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. But they didn't want it. They didn't want to recognize that John's baptism came from God because it exposed their sins, their pride, their blindness, their lack of discernment as a religious leaders. On the other hand, they don't want to say from men because fear of the multitude. It's sad. What a miserable condition. They can't accept John the Baptist as a prophet. Remember, let me put you in context. The last prophet from God that they approved happened 400 years ago. And for them, accepting John the Baptist as a prophet was recognizing their lack of discernment and lack of understanding of the scripture. But can you see how Jesus questions 
reveal their true intentions and sins? How many sins can you see in these short verses? Let me quote three of them. Some, but let me, call, let, let, let me show you three evidently, clearly sins that appears in this interaction. First is pride. Pride. Read it. And they discuss it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a, was a prophet. They didn't want to admit that they were wrong. And that's pride. Every time we are wrong and we don't admit that we are wrong, that is pride. They were blind due to their pride. They couldn't recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They didn't want to admit that they were wrong due to their pride. They couldn't accept biblical corrections. Due to their pride. They had idolized their reputations as a religious leaders due to their pride. They didn't have a teachable heart due to their pride. Pride is the mother of every single sin. Pride blinds and defends, defends people. Pride divides, pride destroys, pride destroys families, relationships, churches. Pride. And it's evident. They don't want to admit that they are wrong. What else do we see? Well, read verse 26. But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd. We are, what a confession. But what a miserable confession. The fear of the crowd had them enslaved. Fear of men. We read Proverbs 29, 27. The fear of man lays a snare. Fear of man. Fear of man's opinion. Fear that what people would think about me. Fear of man that is manifested just pleasing people above God's word. Fear of man. And these two sins revealed a greater sin. And I don't know if you can notice. It's evident. I don't know if you can notice. But there is clear in this text that they lack a fear of God. They lack a fear of God. Why? Look the way they lie so easy. And answering Jesus, they said, we don't know. We don't know. Notice how they lie so easily. We don't know. Of course, they knew. They knew. But they don't want to accept. They don't want to recognize they're wrong. Why it happened? You know why it happened? Because sin brings forth sin. Sin birth sin. 
And they did it because they didn't fear God. So I don't know if you can notice that they only couldn't, not only couldn't accept the authority of Jesus, but they were captive to their sins. Sins that are openly rebelled against the authority of Jesus, the authority of God. Because every single sin, every single sin is an open rebellion against God's authority. And it requires just one sin, brothers and sisters, just one thing. It required that we confess it and repent from it. As a Christian, we are called to see if there is some form of sin, pride, fear of man in our hearts. And what we should do? Run to Jesus. Confess confess it and repent. Confess Confess it and repent it. We should examine our hearts. And let me tell you, this is not something that happened to like us, it happened to Peter as well. And I don't know if you remember what happened between Peter and Paul. That Peter was trying to help or hold his tradition, the Judaism traditions. And then he behaved differently among the Gentiles and differently with the Jews. Do you remember that? And what Paul does, Paul rebuke him. You know why he rebuked him? The answer to that is in verse 10 of chapter 1 of Galatians. He says this, Or am I now seeking the approval of men of God? Or of God? Or am, am I trying to please men? And let's look what he said, Paul said. If I were trying please to men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So either you please men and you are a servant, doulos, a slave of people, or you serve God and faithfully obey God, even though people think differently. And our culture is so important. It's so important as a Christian to understand that we will have many opportunity and we will be tempted in many opportunity, college and in, 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 in universities. You and your workplace to please man, even though it means disobeying God. In relationship, when people, uh, couples are dating, they have the opportunity to please God, abstaining of sexual immorality, of to please your, your fiance, or you will, have the te- you will have the temptation, you will have the opportunity every single, in your workplace, at the church. In your neighborhood, you will have the tension. But what will make the difference is when you are convinced that you are a servant of Christ above everything. Examine our hearts. Let's examine our hearts today and confess all sin or evidence of pride or fear of man and be faithful to him. We live for his glory, not for our glory. We pursue to honor him, not ourselves. We pursue to please him, not us or not everyone else. There is no way to enter the kingdom of heaven if we do not embrace his authority, what he is, what he has done. If we don't confess our sins, but also, and finally, if we don't submit to the authority of Jesus. If we don't submit to the authority of Jesus. And Jesus now introduces a parable, 
a trilogy of parable. And this is the first. And you will see that other in the following Sundays. But he introduced the first of three parables in order to respond to their to the religious leaders. In verse 28, read with me in your Bible. What do you think? Jesus said. A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Looks like my daughter, two years old. <laughs> but afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said, to the, said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But didn't go. Jesus asked, which of the two did the will of his father? Oh, Jesus, this is an easy one question. Of course we know. They said, the first. And look, Jesus, what a master. Look what Jesus does. Jesus used this parable as he used the parable everywhere. By the way, the word parable in the Old Testament is the word proverbs. It's the same root of proverb. And he, he used this parable to confront and rebuke them in a very hard way. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, pay attention to what I'm saying, religious leaders. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Can you imagine that? The tax collector, the worst, the prostitute. Those who are the last in your list, those will enter to the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collector and the prostitute believed him. And look what he said now. And even when you saw it, even when you saw it, you didn't afterward change your minds and believe and believe him. And I've say, I said, I mentioned that earlier. What began as a conversation asking, asking and questioning Jesus about his authority. Jesus turned it into a lesson for the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they are entering into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus wants to teach them the implications of not embracing, accepting Jesus' authority. Jesus wants to teach them the implications of not confessing their sins. And Jesus is teaching them the implications of not, of not submitting to his authority. You will not enter. That's it. It's clear. And he used this parable to illustrate two sons. One of them obeyed and the other didn't. The one who obeyed first. He rebelled against his father. He rebelled against his father's authority by saying no, but then he repented. And actually in Spanish, the word, the, 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 the Bible says in Spanish, is he repented. The word metanoia is the word behind, the root of that word. Metanoia, change your mind, transform mind. And he repented. The other says, yes, I will go to the church every Sunday. I will tie, I will do good works. Actually, I've been in the church for how many years? But then, if we connect this with the story the last week, there's no fruit. There's just leaves. And he said, 
hey, he afterward didn't change his mind, the second one. But before we continue, I want you to, to observe what they had in common. What they had in common. They are both sinners. And both of them, they have rebelled against God's or his father's authority. The first one, he did it openly. No. The second one, he did it passively. Whoever who pleased the father. Which of the two did the will of the father? The first. The first one did it despite being disobedient. He repented. He repented. And now Jesus used that to show his condition and to tell you, you know who are you in this equation? Religious leaders, you are the second. And Jesus teach them, teaches them that the kingdom of heaven is is, that is all about. It's about the promised king calling sinner, calling on sinner, despised by society, without hope. They are calling them to join the kingdom of God. Tax collectors and prostitutes who have found now the salvation in the Messiah. And those were the last in their society. Those were rejected. Tax collectors because they saw they are sold to the Roman Empire to be part of oppression to the Jewish people. And the prostitutes, because they are selling their body openly, freely against God's law. And they were the last. But do you remember what Matthew tells us in chapter 20 that Jesus said? Jesus told them already, the last shall be the what? The first. The first. And you know what, brothers and sisters, this audience is divided in one of those two sons. This audience are divided in one of those two sons. Those who repent and those who disobey. Like the religious leaders. They were so blind that they didn't they, only, they not only did reject the authority of Jesus, they also couldn't see their sins. Moreover, they, didn't, they couldn't accept that the miracles that Jesus performed were the miracles that only the Messiah will, will be able to perform. But more than that, they couldn't see the work and the power of his gospel in the life of those sinners. Read it with me. And even when you saw it, you saw prostitutes changing, living differently. You saw tax collectors coming to Christ. Their testimony didn't spoke to you at all. What incredible picture of the gospel we have here. We have an incredible good news. Everyone who is in Christ in this room, who is in Christ, is like the son, the first son. We were disobedient, don't we? But God, 
but God in his grace changed our hearts. God in his grace gave us eyes to see our sins and repent. And thus now we submitted to his authority. And now we are able to say, I am here, Lord. Do whatever you want. I'm your servant. Thus we are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then you are one of those who one day, you, can, you could see your sins. But one day, one day he opened your eyes. And then you see yourself. And see your heart and said, I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. Save me. That's you worship. That's why you worship today. It's because of that. How good it is to know that now our identity is not found in our past, but in the powerful work of Christ who made us new creatures. What a wonderful news. As he did it with the tax collectors, and he did it with the prostitutes, and he did it with you, and he did it with me. Let me close with this, some final observations. I'm sorry. Brothers and sisters, as a Christians, we should be diligent in showing the world, showing the world what Christ has done in us, for us. We should be aware, and we must understand the impact our demeanor has in the church and outside the church. We are not Christian just Sundays. We are Christian on Mondays, Tuesdays. When you are alone, when you are navigating on the internet, when you are chatting, when you are on social media, you are Christians. And people are observing. The blinds couldn't see it. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Why? Because the experience that Mahatma Gandhi had with Christians, it wasn't a good experience at all. People watch us. They watch our demeanors, demeanor, our comments, and also they watch if we are the same person in the church and outside the church. There is a real story. Real story. This young girl that their parents brought them every Sunday to the church, one day she stopped the pastor and asked him, hey, pastor, I want to buy those doors. What? Yes, I want to buy it. Okay, the pastor laughed. <laughs> what do you want to buy the doors? I said, I don't know what happened, but when my parents come into those doors, they are different. They behave different. They love each other. They respect each other. But once they leave those doors, that house, they are another person. Real story. Parents, watch your demeanors. Watch the way you walk in faith. And the other group today are represented by the second son. 
And those represent the people that they think they are doing things right for God, but they are not pleasing God at all. They are not obeying God. They are obeying their own God. And if you are visiting today or you have visited us, you may ask, how do I submit to the authority of Jesus? How can I do it? Turn your eyes open, Jesus. Turn your eyes to his life-transforming gospel. Open your ears to his life-transforming gospel. Repent of your sins and believe in him as the only one capable of forgiving and cleansing you and surrender to his lordship every day. May God open your eyes if you are visiting and you don't have Christ. And may God use this sermon to open your ears so you may join us every Sunday to worship. Not the name of every human in this platform, but the name that is above every name. And one day, everybody in this room will be praising, exalting, and worshiping. Every knee will bow, and you will be there. With the good reasons, or maybe just upset of not doing it before you die. Come to Jesus. Let's pray.